This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Dark County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. Feeling a little deja vu, but how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. This is our second time through the news this week, uh, considering <laughs> that our first recording totally broke on my end. So uh, if we sound a little more uh, on our game, if we sound a little more rehearsed, it's because we've uh, we've had some practice at this one, but should be a good one. We've got uh, 4th of July coming up this weekend. I know that you guys were really hard at work this week trying to get a special edition of the paper out. You guys were getting the Door County Living magazine out to print. So a lot of hard work over on your end. Hopefully that means that you guys get to relax a little bit this weekend, celebrate the 4th of July. I know it's going to look a little bit different this year than it has in years past, but there's still plenty of cool stuff to get out and do to celebrate. Uh if you watch the Door County Pulse show on YouTube or on Facebook, this week we sat down with you, Miles, to talk about some lesser-known activities, some uh, some more hidden spots that you can get out into to celebrate Fourth of July outdoors, to remain socially distant, all that kind of stuff. So still plenty of cool stuff to do this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. I know it's going to look a little bit different on your end, Miles, but uh, hopefully it should still be fun, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll just get outside more or as much as I can with uh, the newborn. But right. um, yeah, I mean, it's there's not going to be parades. There's not going to be the kind of reunion feel that you get on the 4th of July when everybody rolls back into town and you just stumble into them in Bailey's Harbor and Egg Harbor and all around town. I'm sure there will be some fireworks that are unannounced and unofficial. So I'm sure there's still going to be a lot of that to watch. Um, so for people with dogs that don't like fireworks or with kids who don't respond well to the fireworks and the booms, I try to, you can check your local municipality and see who has taken out permits if they're doing it lawfully because you're supposed to take out permits for that sort of thing. And if you are somebody who wants to set off fireworks, I highly encourage you to let your neighbors know. <laughs> so um, yeah, be, be a good neighbor. Right. So why don't we jump into some of the news this week? Got a couple cool stories to talk about. Uh, first one we'll just go over briefly. So Washington Island has a new ferry in their fleet. It is the Madonna, and that was officially christened this week and is now part of the fleet. I know that we've been following this story for a while as it was being built, but it's cool to see that it's finally up there and working as a part of the fleet now. Yeah, this is a big deal for Fincantieri Bay Shipbuilding, um, just to to be building a new vessel. And they've had a couple of contracts like this in the last year. The one, the they're also working on the first uh, big Great Lakes vessel that they've built in about forty years. Um, right. But yeah, new new ship for the Island Ferry Line. Its largest vessel. I think it carries twenty eight cars, up to one hundred and fifty passengers. Has the capability to operate all year year round um, with ice and uh, winter weather. So pretty cool addition for the ferry line. First new one since the Arnie Richter back in 2003. Right. Uh, Deb Fitzgerald was there at the christening and wrote an article about it for this week's Pulse. I was curious about the name because I know that all of the ferry lines are named after people in Door County or after certain things, but I wasn't quite sure about Madonna. I didn't know if, do you know, Miles, if Madonna has ties to Door County in any way? Yeah, she got her start at the Institute Saloon way back in the day. Oh, perfect. So totally, uh, totally the connection there. Uh, but Deb wrote that it actually comes from a couple of different Door County ships, one of them being a, a schooner, 
a cargo schooner that was captained by Ole Christensen, who ran goods to and from the island. And then it's also named after a model ship that's hanging in the Trinity Lutheran Church on Washington Island. So uh, a little bit different of a pull for the name, but still has its Door County ties. So that was pretty cool. So looking forward to that. Speaking of Washington Island and the ferries, the DNR has closed Rock Island for the rest of the summer. So this is something that surprised me because there there's a couple different ways to get up to the island and a couple different reasons why it's closed. But but tell me why the DNR decided to close Rock Island State Park of all things. Well, I spoke to Mike Burgum, the Central District Director for the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, and he focused on the fact that there the car fee, the car ferry that runs, it's operated by the Washington Island Ferry Line, and that runs to and from Washington Island to Rock Island. And it's just a passenger ferry. It's the only way to get to the island um, by any sort of public vessel. And that will not be operating this summer. But that is not by choice of the ferry line necessarily. That is because that the dock that they use on the island at Thorderson Boathouse is not usable because of the high water levels. The water is so high now that it's just a couple inches below the the top of that pier. So there's really no dock for them to pull up against and safely get passengers on and off the car fee. So that kind of goes back to that pier is not maintained by the ferry line that is owned by the Department of Natural Resources. And, you know, with the rising water levels, people who municipal piers and um, private homeowners have had to do a lot of work to make their piers usable this summer. And DNR, probably in part due to the COVID shutdown, um, has not done anything with that yet. So as Hoyt Purinton at the ferry line said, no dock, no boat. <laughs> right. So a couple different reasons for this, right? So not necessarily a COVID-19 related challenge at its forefront, but certainly COVID-19 isn't helping when it comes to like shoring up that dock to allow the ferry to come and go, right? Mm-hmm. There are some issues with, so the volunteers at the lighthouse, some of them are not really comfortable um, going over and operating that um, attraction on the island with the COVID-19 and especially being in a very tight space that's in that lighthouse. And then some DNR employees, I guess, also had issues. But the volunteers are not very... The, the lighthouse isn't necessary to open the park, so to speak. So Right. So then... My, my first thought is, okay, so the ferry is not running. What about if you were to go over to Rock Island on your own, if you were to take a kayak over or some other private vessel? That's also not an option, correct? Yeah, that was my next question for Mike Burgum as well. And he said, yeah, the park is completely closed. It's not open for hiking. It's I asked about the beach on the far side. Could somebody boat to the beach and enjoy the beach? He said, technically, no. Um, there would hypothetically be fines, uh, potentially. If someone were to do that, how they would enforce that, I'm not exactly sure. If Because if they don't have staff to open the park, I'm sure they don't have staff to patrol the park. Right. But, um, you know, it's disappointing because, you know, that park attracts almost 70,000 people a year. It's become more popular in recent years because more and more people enjoy camping and especially the backcountry rustic camping that's offered there. I would say as somebody who's camped in most of the parks up here, that's the best campsites in the county. Um, you can sit there and camp just a few steps from the water and wake up on the beach and watch the sunrise. Uh, it's a There's a gorgeous sand beach up there. And then the you're just totally cut off and secluded from everybody. So right. you would think 
that that would be the perfect park to have open in a time when everyone's trying to social distance and you can't do so many things. So one thing people could do more than ever is go and camp and be far apart from people. But right. now that's going to be closed all summer. <laughs> yeah. And, and I would think that like the, the big draw for rock Island, the camping, the secluded camping would like not being able to get over on the ferry. I don't think would deter the people who are like really interested in that. I, I think that it would still attract a lot of like backpackers to come over on a small boat or a kayak and set up their campsites there. So I thought for sure that would be it. But uh, I guess my guess would be that they looked at the number of visitors that they have and compared it to the number of people that come over on the Carfi and just decided that it wasn't going to work out this year. But I, I do find that interesting that there wasn't like, given the fact that there's not a lot of trail maintenance, there's not a lot of upkeep, there's not a lot of people who work on the island that they couldn't make it work. But uh, it looks like they're they're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, and, and, and I understand the constraints. But at a time when businesses are doing so many extraordinary things to stay afloat and reinvent themselves and try new things, and it is disappointing to see, okay, here's a place tailor-made for this time and this moment in time that you might not be able to go like, hey, let's do a little more to make this available, at least to right. people on their own or put up science and say like, hey, enjoy on your own with your own watercraft. Uh, we can't offer you services here, but here's how you can enjoy it. That would be a focus of mine if I were waving a wand over the DNR. So let's move on to our last story for the week. You know, as as our coverage has slowed of COVID-19, like I'm not saying that COVID-19 cases have slowed or anything like that. Uh, in fact, it's quite the opposite in the United States. But as our coverage of it has slowed, because Door County has held on to its low numbers for so long, we've started to check back in with stories that we were talking about before COVID-19 and to get updates on new things that we had talked about over the winter. And and one of the big things that we talked about about four or five months ago at this point was a condo development plan for right in the middle of Egg Harbor where the gas station is currently. We talked to Ryan Heiss, the village administrator for Egg Harbor, about his plans for the future uh, on the podcast about four months ago. It's a really great episode. And we talked about this and we talked about some of the the concerns that people had and what he thought about them and that kind of stuff. So that's a really good primer for this discussion. If you, if you don't know about the condo development proposal, uh, but that proposal was shot down months ago and they've come back with a revised proposal. Uh, it looks totally different now. It's a smaller proposal. Tell me a little bit about what this revised plan looks like. Yeah, the uh, the plan commission in, in the village of Egg Harbor essentially said to the developers, like, go back to the drawing board. There's We're not entirely against this, but certainly not in any position to say yes to this at this time. And that was, honestly, as I think back to it, kind of ironically that you introduced this by talking about COVID, one of the last public gatherings that I was at before the shutdowns was the, the plan commission meeting where this project was reviewed. And I recall being in there and pulling my seat about 10 feet away from anybody else into the corner and just being kind of surprised at how close everyone was sitting and then people coming up and wanting to shake my hand and that being awkward of like, I don't really think I should be shaking your hand right now, but you know, this is an old guy, one of my elders who wants to say hi. I felt like awkward about it. So I like shook his hand and then scurried off to the bathroom to wash my hands. Um, (laughs) Just kind of a random memory here that you just jogged back for me. Uh, And that's probably the last time that I was in a big room of people um, before everyone had really started to take this seriously. Um, In any case, at that meeting, they had a plan for a 27-unit condo development with retail. 
And if you're looking at the gas station in the center of Egg Harbor from the road, that included the space where the gas station now stands, the mini mart and, and the pumps. And the property to the left of that, which is the old gas station and has been an apartment with retail on the first floor for about the last 35 years. What right. they were going to do is take that whole lot and turn it into one big complex. And it accounted, it called for about a 72,000 square foot building. Um, like I said, 27 units, some retail on the first floor, underground parking, a lot of blasting. They were going to start construction in the middle of the summer. A lot of things that drew pushback. Um, and now they came back and they listened to those concerns. Kind of surprising. You don't always hear that up here. Um, right. and, and they we came didn't back. scare them away like we did with the Dollar General proposal up in yes. Sister Bay, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but they came back and, and now they've kind of split it into two parcels where the old gas station that people wanted to see preserved would stay as is, um, but with actually tearing some asphalt out from in front of it to replace it with some green space and some parking with permeable pavers. And then the the spot where the mini mart now is and the gas pumps would all be torn out. And then that would be where the 14 unit condo complex would go. And that complex would include three stories plus a rooftop um, overlook and patio area that would be accessible by a stairwell and elevator that would actually go a little higher than three stories. So they would need a variance for that. Um, that would be tucked back. You wouldn't really see that from the highway. And they would also carry the stonework that's in that old gas station building that would be carried over to the new building on the first floor to kind of create some cohesiveness. So right. a lot of their parking spots on the surface level would be done with permeable pavers. So they would actually end up with more permeable surface on this than exists now. So they would actually mm. be adding to the um, runoff capabilities of that parcel. You know, two of the concerns that I saw a lot when this was first proposed, I, I think it's interesting to see how those were kind of looked at for this. The first one being, like, this does not fit in with the character of Egg Harbor. And I've talked on the podcast before about how I think that the character of a location is something that ebbs and flows and changes because the character of Egg Harbor is different now than it was 12 years ago, right? Before you had the the marina and a lot of like the staple stuff and the way that things are built up. The character is different in Egg Harbor than it was five years ago with all of the new buildings that have been built. So it's it's interesting to see the, the photo that we've included in the Pulse where they've got kind of the rendering of the building. They're including the old gas station in that shot so that you can see like, look, it looks like that. They're, they're taking the historic thing and saying, we've, we've incorporated that into the design so we feel that this is capturing the character a little bit more. Uh, of course, you've got the the condos above it looking completely different. But I I would say that that was a smart move to be like, hey, look, we're we're trying to capture that feeling. We're trying to capture the character of the town and bring it into this. Do you think that they went far enough with that? I mean, it's as far as as you would think that a, a developer would or even could. Um, I think it's a nice touch. And I, I do think that they've taken a lot of considerations. And there is this blend of like, okay, do we do we not want change? Yeah, most of us probably don't. But if we're going to get change, like what's the best compromise? Because you got to recognize that people, if they're going to invest in your community. They're going to want to get the dollars back out of it. Um, so this is kind of a pretty good compromise. Now, he, they are still asking for 
some variants on the uh, square footage maximums that the Village of Egg Harbor has. The the maximum size building you can build in Egg Harbor in this particular area would be 18,000 square feet. Now, this building, this condo, would have a, a footprint of about 12,000 square feet, but since it's three stories, it would have almost 36,000 square feet of total area, so they would need to get the okay to exceed that. Um, it does meet the parking right. requirements. It, it has 40 parking spots, the exact number that they would need for the two parcels. Um, it's... It's kind. It's a, if you look at the plans, it's a pretty inventive way to use the space. The way they've got the ingress and egress. There were some issues with that in the original plan. They've solved a lot of those problems. It is pretty close to maybe the best you could hope for, short of like a very small development. But nobody's going to pay the money for that parcel and do a small development. Um, right. It also we talked about this in the past. You know, taking that gas station out could ease a lot of congestion right on that corner. Yeah, that was my other thing I was going to say in terms of like people's concern saying that you add 40 parking spaces in there. Now you've got 40 vehicles potentially that are coming in and out of that intersection. But that's breadcrumbs compared to the amount of people who are going in and out of the gas station every day, right? So it's not going to increase the congestion in that area. If anything, you're going to see less people turning in and out of there. And it's actually going to be a nicer walking space if you go from having a gas station with people coming and going constantly to a residential and retail spot with a, a sidewalk that's maybe not as, um, I don't want to say it's intimidating, but it's it's just not as inviting a storefront when you just have gas pumps in the center of town. Right. Um, so, and you combine that with the fact that this gas station sits on that bend on there's a visibility question on that corner and then across from what's always been a troublesome intersection where county g meets highway 42 by harborview park so you're eliminating a big chunk of congestion in the center of town and that the that the village will be looking to address when they redo their highway sometime probably in like 2021 to 2023 um so i don't know this this could work out well, depending on how it's received, and that that's yet to be determined. They they go to a, this was just kind of like a first. Hey, here's your your look at this, and then they schedule a public hearing, and that will take place August fourth, and that'll be available via Zoom. And um, I assume that's going to be via Zoom. They they're now doing some of the meetings with some people in person and some people um, doing it through Zoom or other um, technology, but. Um, August 4th is the date to look to, and we'll see how, how the public responds. I'm interested to see what happens with the, the previous gas station, the, the, the building there that's now retail. Um, I, because before like it would have been gone and there still would have been retail on the first floor, but I, I'm almost wondering if there's going to be more retail space now with that building being preserved. Uh, and if there's opportunities for some more interesting shopping experiences to take place right there. Well, that, that spot is, I've always thought that was a prime spot for a small restaurant or deli of some kind, and you put some tables out front and some nice lights hanging out over it. Could be a really great spot. And in fact, um, my brother and I, back in the mid-90s, actually inquired about doing that very thing in that location when we had a little pizza place. But um, Herb and Bobby Miller apparently were smart enough to go, yep, 17 and a 19-year-old with a pizza shop, maybe not the best. <laughs> thing to do with our property <laughs> um, oh man i it was a good idea on our part it was also a good decision on their part <laughs> i'm guessing <That's> for, <laughs> hey but you know what 
you know, it may maybe it happened for a reason. Maybe Danos would have taken off in a huge way in that location, and you you wouldn't be a part of the pulse. Yeah, so there is. so maybe it all worked out for for a reason. Thank you to the Miller brothers for making the pulse what it is today. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, I guess my last question on this one is: uh, we're, we're of course losing a gas station, but do you think that that's going to be as big of an impact as it sounds like it would be just off the bat? I mean, we have a gas station just north of Fish Creek, and then we have one just north of Carlsville as well. So you've got options in terms of distance, but do you think that there's going to be demand for another gas station to crop up somewhere in Egg Harbor, or do you think that people aren't going to miss this one that much? I think there will be. You know, Egg Harbor, not all that long ago, I guess to a younger guy like you, it is, seems like a long time ago, it's before you were born, but (laughs) right before you were born, there was a time when Egg Harbor had four gas stations. You had the Shell Hmm. Station on the south end of town, you had um, Miller Brothers, you had Harvey Haynes Gas Station. And later you had a Plum Bottom gas station um, kind of closer to Carlsville. And, you know, most of these were little two pump, three pump gas stations, not the kind you see now with like the eight, eight stations and everything. But now you've just had the one. And for the village, that's pretty convenient. I mean, it's not just like for vacationers saying, oh, I can stop in Carlsville or I can stop in Fish Creek. But you think of people doing business in town um, or people operating machinery or doing anything in the village, if you need to go get gas or even fill up a gas can for your lawnmower, that kind of thing, it's a different scenario to go like, all right, I'm going to run down to Miller Brothers. It's going to be two minutes versus I'm going to run 10 or 15 minutes south and then drive back, or I'm going to go up to Fish Creek and come back south. Like those kind of things start to factor into the convenience. I'm guessing that this plan commission or potentially the town of Egg Harbor, which kind of wraps around the village, might end up seeing someone come forward proposing to build a gas station somewhere else within a couple of years. Because that would be, you're just thinking of, you got one in Carlsville, then your next one's in Fish Creek. You're probably looking at like a 25-minute gap between those two. And right. that that's probably as big as a, a gap as you would have in, in Door County. I think like any other area, you're looking at like 10 minutes between gas stations. So not that this is all bustling and that you can't figure that out. People adapt, but I prefer particularly in my early days, was one who was prone to running out of gas and sitting on the side of the road <laughs> and getting bailed out or having to walk to the gas station and fill up a tank, uh, a little gas can. So I don't know. I would I would think somebody will do something. Yeah, You didn't have a little light that came on when you had 20 miles left in your gas can? Well, I didn't have the kind of car that actually told me how many miles were left. I had the kind of eyes that would misjudge how much fumes I had remaining in my tank that I could still like, just barely coast up to Fish Creek and get to school in or deliver the next ah. piece in. So I was uh, I was not always an accurate judge. And I also didn't always have like the the dollar fifty in quarters and nickels in my car to <laughs> bail me out. Wow. What a different time it was fifty years ago. <laughs> when you were driving around. Uh, Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Miles, is there anything else that we should chat about this week? Anything to plug for the weekend? Of course, we've got the paper coming out. Lots of cool 4th of July stuff in there this week. Uh, Door County Living Magazine will be coming out soon. It just went to print. Uh, anything else that people should know about before we go into the weekend? No, just that uh, I did have a conversation with, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the protests up here and what the nation was has been grappling with and right kind of our viewpoint and the the difficulty of covering that from afar here um and doing it justice and i did reach out 
earlier today and we'll run this podcast in sometime in the next week or so um, to talk to one of the directors of Cure Violence, which is a program in um, Chicago. And it's actually run internationally now, but it basically operates with violence interrupters who step in in moments when a shooting or some violent act might occur that you would normally wait till it occurs and call the police while these people step in and try to mitigate that in the moment. Um, Hmm. And I had a really good conversation with him about basically just getting at the idea of where you hear a lot of talk about defunding the police and police reform right now. And I just want to talk to somebody who's like, okay, what, what might that look like? What form might that take? Because it's really confusing to hear that, like defund the police. Then you go, okay, if not the police, then who, if not the police, then what? So this is one example of a program that fills that gap. And um, we just had a kind of a wide ranging conversation about race, racial disparities and in, in funding and policing and just different approaches to handling some of these problems and what we expect of the police. Great. Really. Uh, yeah, I am looking forward to hearing that. Keep your eyes on your podcast feed uh, or on the Pulse's website or on social media to see when that episode comes out, probably sometime next week. We'll also be back on Friday to chat about some of the different things that you can experience this weekend, even though things are very different. Uh, so we'll, we'll do that as well. Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me today, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you, Andrew. It was, it was great to talk to you, even if we had to do it twice. The podcast so nice, we recorded it twice. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time. <laughs>